Oh, good morning. It is good to be here this morning on this beautiful Sunday morning. We're continuing our series in Resilient Faith. And again, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, this morning's title is Holiness. So uh, we're going to start with Calvin and Hobbes. And here we go. Do you think God lets you plea bargain? I'd worry more about your mom. In Hebrews 12, 14, Scripture says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And when it talks about seeing the Lord, it's not, it's not talking about physical eyesight. It's talking about experiencing God. It's talking about knowing Him for who He is. And I'm guessing you all agree that that will, that will be a wonderful thing to see God for who he is. And scripture says that without holiness, that will not happen. So holiness is extremely important. The word holy, like what, is, what does holy mean? It means set apart for special use. You might think of in the Old Testament where the word holy is is used to speak of uh, items that were used in uh, temple worship, for example. Uh, and those items were called holy because they were set apart for special use. Christians, we are called to be holy. We are called to be set apart for special use, for God's use, for his kingdom purposes. Holy, holy also carries with it the idea of perfection, perfect or pure. And you're like, that's not me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's not me. None of us. We're, we're not holy, but, but God calls us holy. So what in the world's up with that? So hopefully all those questions will be answered this morning. So, uh, so something really cool to think about is the word holy um, the word holy is used in scripture to talk about past, present, and future. So the Bible says that when you put your faith in Christ, you were made holy. That's, that's some crazy truth right there. When you put your faith in Christ, when you trust him, the Bible says that you have been justified, that you have been declared righteous before God that you have been made holy. The Bible also uses the word holy to speak of something that is in process. We are being made holy. God's purpose for us during our entire lives as Christians is to be made holy, to be made pure, to be set apart, in more and more ways for his purposes, for his glory, for his kingdom. So we have been made holy. We are being made holy. And the Bible also says that we will be made holy. The Bible says that there is a day, there is coming a day, when we will stand before the king and we will be completely holy. We'll be righteous and perfect. The Bible says that we will have glorified bodies. 
we have that amazing hope. You have been made holy, you are being made holy, and you will be made holy. And so the question we're answering this morning is, what does that look like? How can we do that? How can we, how can we experience and, um, and allow God to do that in us and through us these days? And we're looking at a passage in Acts, Acts 5, 1 to 11, to answer that question. The first answer, we're doing three answers. The first answer is admire the big picture. God is all about doing something. And that's called the big picture. So the first verse in our passage here, Acts chapter 5, 1, it says, But there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. So here, we're setting up the story here. We're like, okay, so you might be asking, so what's the but there for? What happened before that? This, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that in a minute here. And then it says there's a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, and they sold property. So you might be wondering, like, what's that about? Why they sell property, and why, what's the importance of that? And we're going to get into that. But first, we need a little bit of historical background. So we got some Barnabas and Achan stuff to deal with. So regarding Barnabas, you might be looking at that picture and be like, how in the world does Steve get a baby picture of Barnabas from the first century? And I just want to tell you, I just, I'll be frank, I Googled it. Okay. So, so Acts 4, 34 to 37, it says this. So this is right before our passage that we're looking at. We're looking at Acts 5, starting chapter 1. So right before that, Acts 4 ends with this. There was a, not a needy person among them, among the new believers. So there's, the church is forming, you know, Pentecost in chapter 2, and uh, and. The gospel is spreading. The early church is growing by the thousands rapidly. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. What a glorious picture. The church of Jesus is growing rapidly and believers are so committed to this kingdom purpose, what God is doing. They're taking their property and they're selling it and they're laying the proceeds at the, at the apostles' feet so that it can help those who are in need. In verse 36 of chapter 4, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, of which you'll see his baby picture on the screen there, which means son of encouragement. Great name, isn't it? Son of encouragement. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas was a wonderful guy. Loved Jesus, committed to the kingdom work, committed to the church, loved his fellow community. And then we have to also mention this guy named Achan. So you might have heard of Achan before. So think way back in the Old Testament. I tried to get a baby picture of Achan, but I, I couldn't find one. So Achan was this guy who was, he was, he is, it's a bad story, people. So um, think Moses. So Moses led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, right? And then they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Joshua leads the people into the promised land. 
And now they're beginning to conquer the promised land that God had promised to them. That's why it's called the promised land, right? Because God had promised it to them. And, uh, and we all know the story of Jericho, where the, the Israelites take Jericho. But God had told them, I'm going to give you Jericho, but you must not take the spoils from Jericho for yourselves. Those are holy, set apart for me. And so they all obeyed God's word, right? Wrong. Achan decided that he didn't like God's command. And so he took some of the spoils himself and hid it in his tent. And so next happens is uh, that Joshua leads the people, an army, very small army, because I is such a small city, an insignificant city. It's like, oh, big deal. We got this, no problem. So Joshua leads a small bunch of troops to Ai, and they get utterly destroyed. Joshua and his troops do. And so Joshua is praying like, God, what in the world happened? You promised us that you would give us the promised land. You gave us Jericho, and now we go into Ai, and this should have been an, an absolute, we should have had it, no problem, and then we get destroyed. What happened? And God says, Israel has sinned. And God reveals to Joshua and the people what Achan had had done. And Achan dies for his sin. Achan stole what God said is his and hid it in his tent and lied about it. Not good. So what's the big picture? What's all this have to do with anything? We've got Achan, we've got Joshua, we've got... Barnabas, got the early church. The big picture is that God is all about bringing a people to himself. We read in 1 Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called us to be his holy people for a purpose, and that's to proclaim his excellencies. That's what God was all about under Joshua, about bringing about a people for himself, and that was he, that's what he was all about in the early church, forming the early church, his own possession, a holy people. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It's all about Jesus. 1 John 5.12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. The Bible is very clear. Every human being that ever existed, that ever exists, including you and me, everyone in this room, everyone, everyone has a deep longing for life. 
And Jesus is the only one who can satisfy that desire for life because Jesus is life. He is the alpha and the omega and the beginning and the end. God is all about bringing people back to himself. I want to tell you a little story, the tale of the two and the question of who. The tale of two and the question of who. So here's a little story that Jesus tells and the context of the story is pretty important. So this is from Luke 18, verse 9. It says, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So just it's important to recognize who Jesus is telling this story to. Jesus is telling this story to people who thought they were righteous and wonderful and excellent and pure and holy people and looked down on people who were not so great. And so Jesus tells this story. He says, two men went to a temple to, temple, the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people cheaters and sinners and adulterers. I'm certainly not like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Thank you, God, that I'm such a wonderful person. That was my little addition, by the way. That's not scripture. Then in verse 13, Jesus continues, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And then Jesus, Jesus says this about the story. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, went home right before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What is the big picture? What is God all about doing? God is about doing drawing a people to himself. And how does he do that? He does that by forgiving us, by making us holy, by giving us life, by bringing us back into a relationship with himself, not on our own power, not because of anything that we do, but purely, completely because of his grace. And if we stand up like this Pharisee and say, oh, I'm a great person and God loves me because I'm so good, We will not be accepted by God. We will not be right with God. We will not be forgiven. We will not be made holy. But if we stand before God, like this tax collector, and say, forgive me, God. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. The Bible says that we will go home right before God. Holy before God. Oh, is that good news? Holy. Holy. 
you're like, I don't feel holy. But God's word says that he makes us holy. He declares us holy when we trust him and what he's done for us. Adrian Rogers says this, holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. Amen. Amen. So question number two, how can I be holy? Surrender to God's purposes. So God is all about doing something, and we've got to surrender to those purposes. That's how we live the holy lives that God has called us to. So we're going to look at the the chunk of this passage now. So Acts 5, 2 to 10. So here's the story of Ananias and Sapphira. So Ananias brought part of the money to the apostles. Remember, he sold his property, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So notice the problem here. So don't get confused. The problem is not that that Ananias and Sapphira kept some of the money that they from from the proceeds of selling the property. The problem is is that they lied about it and they said that they were bringing all the money when it wasn't all the money. And you're like, why in the world did they do that? What were they thinking? When I, when I read this story, a great summary that comes up in my mind is what they were doing is they were all about them and not about God. So here's what happens. So he, in church, verse 2, with his wife consent, he kept the rest. And then verse 3, Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And everyone who heard about it was terrified. You think? And then some young man got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three, three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied. That was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. What an encouraging passage, right? (laughs) It's like, what's going on here? God is bringing, bringing to being that church, forming his own people, his holy people. God is a holy God. And he wants his people to be holy. And Ananias and Sapphira, that's not important to them. What is important to them? 
their own purposes are important to them, not God's purposes. Every one of us has to decide on our desire. What do we want? What are we seeking? God is not a means to an end. He is the end. Amen. Knowing him is the end. We can, we can make the mistake. Ananias and Sapphira clearly made this mistake where they were using God to accomplish their own purposes. Another way to put that is we want to use God to get what we want, but God wants to use what we want to get us to God. Because God knows that what we really need is him. And to know him. There are so many, I'm sure you have a list in your mind. Like, what, what would make life better right now? I'm sure you've got a list. Things you could change, right? Your list. But what does God want? God wants to use that list that you have. The list, and I have a list too. The things that I wish were different these days. God wants to use that list to bring me closer to him because that's his goal. But woe is me if I start trying to use God to make my list come to reality. Oh, that we would be on the same page with God. God, I want to know you. I have my list. God, I'm going to pray about my list. But what I pray about most, what I want most is to know you because you are really the one thing on the list. Jesus, in John 1.38, Jesus asked this great question. So this is, um, this is uh, uh, John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist had disciples, and John the Baptist um, was uh, uh, hanging out with his disciples, and then he sees Jesus go by, and John the Baptist goes, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then two of John's disciples listen to John say that, and they're like, oh, we'll go follow Jesus then. So they left John the Baptist to go follow Jesus. And then Jesus looks around and sees them following him. And that was Andrew and Philip, by the way. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. And Jesus looks at them, and he, he asks this question. This is John 138, if you want to read it later. John chapter 1, verse 38. Jesus looks at them, and he goes, what do you want? And you know, when you read that, you got to be really careful how you read scripture sometimes. You could read like, what do you want? Like, that's not how he said it. I'm sure of it. He said, what do you want? What are you seeking? Isn't that a fabulous question? You think Jesus is asking that to us these days, today? Asking that to you and to me? What are you seeking What do you really want? What is your deep desire? I love what their answer is. <laughs> Andrew and Philip, they're like, ah, where are you staying? <laughs> Great answer. They don't know how to communicate it, but they just want to be with him. Is that your answer too? Even if you can't put the right words on it, Jesus, I just want to be with you because you are where life's at. 
Soren Kierkegaard said this, purity of heart is to want one thing. What do you want? Do you want Jesus? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. That's Revelation 4.8. God is holy. And when something's found three times, three, you know, three is a biblical number, right? Three is a number of completeness or perfection. So when you see a word repeated three times in the Bible like that, that's saying that that's holy, holy, holy in perfection. And what does holy mean? It means perfect. So figure that out, right? It's perfect in perfection. Or it's perfect perfected. Holiness. Holy, holy, holy. God is, God is perfect. He is completely perfect, separate, other than, unique. There is no one like him. He is completely set apart. And scripture says in verse uh, 16 of chapter 1 of Peter, Peter quotes the Old Testament command and says this, for scripture says, you must be holy because I am holy. God is holy, perfect, totally other than, separate, worthy of our worship, and he commands us, his people, to be holy. How do we do that? If we're, if we're not careful, we start to think it's about, about doing and doing and doing. How does doing and doing and doing relate to to being and being and being, identity and actions. What's the order? God's purpose for us is first in being and then in doing. Amen. And it's when we be that then we do. Our identity is that we know him and belong to him and then our action is that we then live like it. Jesus said in John 15, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And a little later in that passage, Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen. No thing. You're like, what is nothing? Nothing is what rocks dream about. <laughs> we can do nothing, nothing of value if we're not connected to Jesus. But if we are connected to Jesus, then we will be fruitful. Then we will be a holy people. Then we will live out our faith C.S. Lewis says this, the holier a man becomes, the more he mourns over the unholiness which remains within him. And what a wonderful quote that is. It's such a good reminder. This is reality, isn't it? The closer we are to God, 
the more we recognize the depths of our own brokenness and sin. Is that not true? And so I love this quote because it reminds us of that truth. If you feel like you are a sinful, broken person, then that is a wonderful thing. That is a wonderful thing. Because if you didn't feel like that, it would be evidence that you're not close to God. Wrap your mind around that, right? When I feel my, my sin and my brokenness, that should encourage me because, because that means that I'm experiencing the holiness of God and recognizing my own sinfulness. It's also a good sign because, well, if you care about it, it's a good sign because if, if, you, don't, if you don't care about not being right with God, that's evidence that you don't care about God. But if you want God, then you're going to care about the depths of your brokenness and sin. The holier a man becomes, the more he mourns over the unholiness which remains in him. All right, number three, how can I be holy? Flourish in fear. Acts 5.11 says this, great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. So notice, notice it's the church, it's believers who are filled with fear and it's also everyone else who heard. So it's even people who are not part of the church who hear this, oh, wow. There's a fear of God. What is the fear of the Lord? Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. John Piper says this, Fearing God means that God is, in your mind and heart, so powerful and so holy and so awesome that you would not dare to run away from him, but only run toward him. The fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord, draws us to God because he is so amazing and wonderful and powerful and holy and awesome. So here at Code Springs Church, we talk about saying yes to Jesus. And in the seat backs in front of you, there should be a little card that says, say yes. Have you said yes to Jesus? Yes, I run to you, Jesus. I, I have this healthy fear of you. I want to know you. I want to trust you. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. A great summary of saying yes to Jesus is admit, believe, choose. Admit is saying, Jesus, I believe, you, I believe you that I am a broken person, that I am a sinner, and I need a savior. Admit is saying, I confess my sins. There's that great verse in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Admit. 
and believe. Believe is saying, Jesus, I believe you that you died for me, that you are the Savior, and that you give forgiveness of sins to those who put their faith in you. I believe. I trust you. I believe you. And then choose. Choose is choosing to surrender your life to Jesus. You are the Lord, Jesus. I give my life to you. I don't want to do my life my way anymore. I want to do life your way. Amen. Saying yes to Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And isn't that a great summary of what the gospel is? Bringing us to God. Bringing sinners to God. Reconciling us to him. We have an opportunity now to to share communion together. So I'd like to invite the worship team up and uh, we're gonna take communion. If you, didn't, if you didn't receive the communion elements when you came in, just raise your hand and uh, Esther will come and, and give you the elements. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. When we celebrate communion, that is what we celebrate the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus, the righteous one. Jesus, perfect, without sin. Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus, the word. Jesus, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus, hung on the cross for you and for me. Why? That he might bring us to God. that he might reconcile us to him. So when we take communion, we celebrate that we are right with God, not because of anything we do, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. After the evening meal, Jesus took the cup. And he said to his disciples, this this cup, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. My blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, you said, Take and eat, take and drink. And so we do. We take and eat, and we take and drink. Remembering as you commanded us to, remembering that we are saved because of you, because of what you did on the cross. For us. Thank you, Jesus for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making me holy. Amen. We have this great hope, don't we? 
We have this great hope that, that even in the midst of our brokenness and sin, that we have this promise that one day Jesus is coming back and he's gonna take us to be with himself and we will be with him in perfection, that we will be made holy and we will see him as he is. There's a verse in John that says this, there is, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this weren't true, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus is preparing a place for us. Jesus is preparing a place for us, amen? amen. And we will be made holy and we can enjoy his presence forever. I hear this is in style, so I'm gonna close this with a quote from uh, Snow White. And then he will carry me away to his castle where we will live for ha forever, happily ever after. <laughs> close with three questions for us. Question one, when you think about the big picture of God's plan through history, what do you think of? And what is your part? big picture. And question two, what does it mean for you today to surrender to God's purposes? And question three, how would you define a healthy fear of the Lord? How are you living in healthy fear of the Lord these days? Would you please stand with me as we close in prayer? Jesus, you are holy, holy, holy. You are the Alpha and the Omega. And we love being here this morning to worship you because you are worthy. Because you are worthy. And you have called us to be holy because you are holy. You have called us holy because you have made us holy. Thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.